Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Locked on Seminoles, brought to you by McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, I'm loving it, and today I am loving it doubly so, because I am in the Mecca, the heart of it, the place where every McDonald's lover dreams of spending mornings, afternoons, and evenings. Chicago, Illinois. It wasn't exactly where it was founded, but it basically was, and for that, we thank you. We got a great show for you today, again, Brought to you by McDonald's. You're welcome. Grab some for breakfast if you haven't made it to the office yet. We're going to talk about Jordan Travis, QB number one, back for Miami. What impact we expect him to have on this game. Then we're going to talk about QB one on the other side, the emergence of Tyler Van Dyke, a guy that we really had no idea was going to be who he's starting to become. And we're going to play a little fact or fiction with him. Do we think that the Tyler Van Dyke we've seen the past two weeks is fact Or do we think he's fiction and the kid from the middle of nowhere, Connecticut, is the fact? Like I said, great show. I'm Max. That's Drake. Stick around and let's do this, folks. You are Locked On Seminoles, your daily podcast on the Florida State Seminoles. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. And folks, I just want to take a moment and apologize for um, what you're seeing if you're watching on YouTube. I'm in the mobile command station, as some of you may know it. It's my bedroom at my parents' house here in Sarasota. Just started a new job this week. I'm moving to Atlanta, closing on a house, uh, thanks to Shannon and Chad at uh, 1-800-FSU-LOANS. They're a sponsor of the NOLCast, but give them a call. Shannon's been phenomenal. Got to give them a shout out there. Uh, anyway, so I'm in, I'm in an extra bedroom for the next like 15 days till we close on the house. So I apologize, but if you're watching this on YouTube, make sure you hit the bell to get notified. Make sure you hit the thumbs up on the episode and tell us below if you think what we're seeing from Tyler Van Dyke is fact or fiction. And for all you podcast listeners, as always, thank you so much for listening. We only get to do all the car fight, car chases, all the gun fights because you guys do the paperwork. That is listening to our podcast. And for that, we thank you. Drake, we're three minutes in, taking enough of the people's time. Just go ahead and give me your one-liner. A, how are you doing? But B, are we seeing fact or fiction from Tyler Van Dyke right now? You got to get better recorded movies, man. It's um, a great quote. I, I know it's a great quote, but you kind of butchered it a little bit. That but I am, I, it wasn't your best. That's kind of why I was shaking my head. But uh, one, I'm doing great. Two, I think it's somewhere in the middle. Somewhere in the middle. Interesting. And let's start, though, with our own quarterback, because I think there's a lot of fact or fiction, which I guess is the theme of this episode, on Jordan Travis. You know, there's situations like this, right, where it's like, I hate saying I told you so because of how it makes me come across, not because I hate the feeling I get from it. But I said at the beginning of the offseason that I thought Jordan was probably going to be our best option. I said that if he could improve a little bit, we would see a drastic improvement in the on the field performance because he really wasn't as far away as people were making it seem like he is. And whether that was right, or it's just the fact that we don't have a better option. The point is we saw what this offense looks like with Jordan Travis last weekend. And I don't want to see that again. Oh yeah. We're terrible without him on those things. Just like as much as I really wanted, you know, Mackenzie Mill to be even towards the middle of what he was in 2017. 
he's not even close to that. Unfortunately, you know, the leg injury has decimated his mobility, which was allowed him to be all the gunslinger kind of Kellen Morris plays. He's unable to plant his footing. You know, if you watch his arm, it's not bad, but it's not very good either. And kind of like floats up there a little bit. It's like a uh, like one of those pop fly balls you see in baseball with. And with Jordan Travis, it's like I think he's seen somewhat of an improvement with sort of more his confidence in actually attempting to make other passes. But you do see a limitation with the team because I think we throw, what, 13 times a game, which we which we don't have to. But we've won games, you know, limiting the passing attack because he does bring a dynamic with running and also he's able to make Jason Corbin, Tristan Ward, bigger threats in the run game. But I do see that he, the only way our offense and primarily our entire team runs is through JT13. Yeah, and I think that that's a big thing people discount is it's not just what he can do with his legs. It's what his legs allow the people around him to do with their legs. I I don't know how else to put it. I mean, with him running the offense, Jayshon Corbin looks like a high-level draft pick. Without him back there, Jayshon doesn't get any worse, guys. It's not like Jayshon goes from one of the fastest players in the country with, you know, we'll, we'll say, we'll say uh, Carlos Williams esque breakaway speed at the top end to being a nobody it's that when there isn't that element of space creation of freezing the outside edge guys of forcing defenses to not just be able to play a simple contain jay sean can't get himself going and he's going to get hit in the backfield too often especially also because like if you put mckenzie milton in there you don't really have that much threat of passing the ball because his arm is so weak too the wide receivers are really bad so all you have to account for is him it's literally having he has a dozen bullseyes like on his back. So basically, it's you only have to count for him and Trayshawn Ward if Jordan Travis is not in the game. And that's the other thing, right? Is if, 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 sorry, I'm getting all the names. It's alphabet soup here. If Jordan is going to beat you with his arm, he's probably going to beat you deep. He can throw a great long ball. In fact, he's a, some would say an Ontario Wilson effort, or maybe Keyshawn. I think it was Keyshawn. Keyshawn Helton effort or him throwing it a foot shorter from us maybe beating Clemson with that long ball that, you know, was just slightly looked overthrown. Point being, to account for his pass, you have to unload the box a little bit. To account for McKenzie's pass, you're doing the same thing that you do to stop the run. You stop the run by loading the box. You stop McKenzie's pass by loading the box and taking away those intermediate and short routes. So they're not complementary, or they're not supplementary skill sets. They're complementary, and that means... The same defense takes both away. And that was tough to watch on Saturday. Now, I will say before we talk about this weekend, McKenzie, it's unclear, especially given the Chubba Purdy situation, how much he practiced last week. So there is that element. I think we probably saw the worst version of McKenzie Milton we could get on Saturday. So I'm basing all these criticisms off of, not criticisms, just facts about the offense off of the whole body of work. I'm not just flipping on the camera. Oh, yeah, no, I know. No, I, I get what you're saying. I mean, the entire year, he hasn't been particularly that great at all. Um, Actually, what's funny, the second half of the in-state game, he actually was probably his best half of the entire year outside of, you know, the, what, two, three drives he had against Notre Dame. And, yeah, apparently McKenzie Milton actually did not practice until maybe Thursday or Friday. So a day or two of practice, I think he also was sick but not as sick as Jordan Travis. I think Jordan Travis just arrived back to practice, and he was still sick on Sunday. So... A lot of the kids, you know, they didn't practice because of the flu, but a lot, most of them are back. I think all of them actually are back now. So we actually should be having a full roster heading into uh, my, the Miami game. Yeah, and I will say that's one thing that worries me about this Saturday is if Jordan is just now getting back. I um, Look, he, he's a runner, right? And y'all go out there in your front yard right now if you've got room. 
if you don't, just wait till you get to your office and find a hallway and sprint 20 yards, like as fast as you can. And then turn around, try to do it again. And see how you feel right after just doing it two times. And like, imagine how he feels in the third quarter. Well, that's not easy to do when you're coming off of a week and a half long flu. So I, I worry a bit about his endurance. You know, the other big question is, are we going to get Dylan Gibbons back? Are we going to get Babyon back? Because without those two, our offensive line is anemic at best. Um, I don't know. Uh, if we, But let's pretend we do, right? If we have both of them back, I don't know. Uh, I, I don't know, Drake. Two weeks ago, I thought... <laughs> I mean, that's just been the, that's just been this season. It's, it's like four weeks ago, I thought we weren't going to win a game. And then two weeks ago, I thought maybe we could win out. And now I'm sitting here going, Oh, are we going to win another one? Like, I I don't know. This team just, ah, it's infuriating, right? It's, it, it is. And it's taking years off my life. It, folks, when you watch this game, I think, you're all going to be feeling the way I'm feeling where it's like no excuses, play like a champion rule number 76. I mean, there there's just, it's the Miami game. And I understand that kids can want to get up and blah, blah, blah. That's it. You have to, you have to play this game hard and you have to beat this team because right now you're talking about four straight losses to Miami. That's a lot. That's mid that's early two thousands level of losses to Miami, right? That's, that's a Chris. That's almost a Chris Rick's career worth of losses to Miami. He somehow pulled it off five times. Good for him. Nice. But nonetheless, you just have to do it. So I. All right. Let's let's get away from the the sorrows and let's talk about actually previewing this game a little bit and what we can expect our offense to do well against their defense. But first, so I need to take a second to tell you about McDonald's serving communities since 1965. And right now I am in the Mecca of McDonald's, Chicago, Illinois. If you don't know the story, go watch the founder about Ray Kroc. Ray Kroc's an American hero. He gave us McDonald's a place that's more than just affordable, tasty food. It's a place where friends and family can come to reconnect a place where classmates can meet up for a study group or where you can walk out of Stroh's and grab yourself an icy Dr. Pepper at 3 in the morning because you have a huge exam the next day that maybe you put off studying for for an entire semester because your team was winning a national championship that year. I don't know. I'm just spitballing here. Win or lose, it's a place where teammates, competitors, the home team, or the away team, the away team, not at my McDonald's, can come to recharge. It's a place you can always look forward to stopping on a long road trip to rest your legs and refuel. I make sure to get two double cheeseburgers, a large Dr. Pepper, and a large fry every time I hit the road. Guys, McDonald's has done more positive for me in my life than probably anyone I know, and it's not even close. So guys, head over to McDonald's, refuel, reconnect, and grab it for the next Lockdown Seminoles watch party. We'll be at the Miami game this weekend. I can't wait to see y'all. I can't wait to see McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. I'm loving it. I love how the homie is uh, drawing lines in the sand when it comes to his McDonald's. <laughs> I'm just saying. I'm just saying. Stay out of my McDonald's, Miami fans. All right? You can do a lot this weekend, but I, you better stay away from the Tennessee Street McDonald's after you've been at the Strip. You're not welcome there. And you're not welcome at the one by Bajas and Taboo or whatever it's called now. Either. Oh, no. That's my McDonald's. Don't exactly. you dare step Get out of there. Gosh. <laughs> Lots of good times with this, that McDonald's. Uh, anyway, man, let's let's talk a little bit about what we should expect to see against the Miami defense because Miami's defense is not what's winning them games recently. The last two 
The last two wins they had uh, were solely because they scored more points than the other team, not because they made the other team score less than them. If that makes sense. You get what I'm saying. NC State pulled out a six-shooter and blew their own toes off repetitively and repeatedly. So, I don't know. I mean, are you? What do you? How do you think we stack up against this defense? So I think the defense is actually is a little more than a weakness of the team, and it's really surprising because Manny Diaz, as much as we know, we crap on him for being a bad recruiter, a bad head coach, and just bad and everything else. Just they're they're he's a really really good defensive coordinator, and the fact of the matter is that the defense has been subpar for the entire year. Is very surprising. They've also had a lot of injuries. They remember they lost three, uh, three draft picks to the NFL. Two of them being first rounders on the edge. Nessa Silvera, their defensive tackle, who to me was like play like Marvin Wilson last year, and is doing the same thing Marvin Marvin did the year before, where he is progressing. They lost a the safety, and they're playing a lot of young guys now. It's starting to click a little bit, but they're losing kids to the portal. They're losing kids to all stuff. It's, it's very unsound football, and one of the big primary reasons is because. If you watch the Michigan State game, I think being the primary reason, they do not know how to do a solid form tackle, whether it be effort or understanding how to wrap up. So that's one big thing you see a lot, especially with the linebackers and some and the cornerbacks. The safeties are a lot better with the James Williams and Avante Williams too back there. They're really, really damn good. But other than that, like their defense is not only just not meeting expectations, but it's very, very mediocre. Yeah, and the thing with Miami is I've been waiting for this for years. The regression to the mean has finally caught up to them. In fact, they are 119th in the country out of 129 teams in defensive turnover rate. That is opponents' drives that end in either an interception or a recovered fumble, which means only 10 teams in the country are worse at ending drives with turnovers than the Miami Hurricanes. That chain has stayed in its stupid little suitcase. Not... Not as often as I want this year, but a lot closer than it has in previous years. Because, look, I've said it. Their their defense has been predicated on turnovers. And, guys, turnovers is not something on which you can predicate a defensive philosophy. Look at Iowa. That was their success at the beginning of the year. Turnover margin swings back. How are they doing now? So I'm going to play one high, one low real quick. Just made that title up. And that's I'm going to give you our closest competitors to Syracuse, to Miami, one that's right below them, one that's right above them defensively. Ratings-wise, Syracuse is literally one spot in advanced FEI stats below Miami. The thing they're much better at, Syracuse is much better at stopping the run. Uh, they are much better at stopping down-to-down success than Miami is. However, they lack in the pass game stoppage. So if we can get the run game going, well, um, I don't know. Maybe it's a good day. One above is actually us there's no one in our conference that's like close enough to Miami that we've played for a comparison to really make sense until we get all the way up to NC State but it's us uh their our defense is just slightly better than theirs um what we don't have that they have is we don't have any atrocious rankings so Miami is a little more scattered whereas we're a little more consistently middle not as high ceiling low floor type defense. they're all over the place when it comes to like yeah. advanced metrics we're a lot more we have like it's like a, like a bullet pattern it's, everything is tight and like this whereas That's miami exactly is like, right, it's like this yeah so we we're sitting right now in the fei rankings on defense at 38th which by the way i know numbers aren't everything i know we're three and five but i'll say it on this podcast and maybe i'll eat my words on monday you look at that defense last year 
I am at the point now you can't convince me that Adam Fuller needs to be fired. I mean, we're, we went from like the hundredth best defense in the country to the 40th best using the same rankings. It's not like I cherry picked some different thing last year. And now I'm no same comparative metrics. This defense is doubly better at least than it was last year with less talented players in a lot of objective ways that you can analyze the talent level of a defense. That being said, Tyler Van Dyke, Drake, you cover him at Locked On ACC. He's starting to come alive. I mean, he's had two, what, two and a half, three really good weeks. He's, what, 10 touchdowns to one interception in the past three games. Does not turn the ball over. But I don't know if he really does a lot to win games. You know, what do you think? Is he more of a game manager that just doesn't make the big mistake? Or do you think he can actually go out there and beat what has been by all account, by all measures, a very good Florida State defense this year. It's really interesting watching him grow because I thought that he was going to be a very bad QB. I mean, the only reason that he started against UNC was because Jake Garcia, their true number two, got injured, got hurt. And it kind of tells you a lot when your true freshman QB supplants a kid that's been there already for two years, right? So with Tyler Van Dyke, him going in there, if you see him in the games, he's a little better than a game manager. If he's able to consistently be on the field and get game reps, he gets hot. It's like when you play NBA 2K and keep making threes. You're on fire or NBA Jam, the same damn thing. He consistently, if he gets reps, if he gets in the game, if he gets mobile, he's, like that's the way he's able to just keep on cooking. He doesn't make many mistakes. He does put balls like you know a little higher than you want to, which is something that I really want to see our stage kind of predict, uh, prey on. But he utilizes his weapons really well. And also, the reason why I don't say he's been like super elite is because they've he has a very good security security blanket in Jalen Knight in the running back. Whether it be a lot of wheel routes, a lot of edge routes, you see that he's able to utilize him as a weapon in the passing game, which then opens up for the explosive over-the-top plays that you see, which is a staple of the Red Lassie offense. Yeah, and I give him, by the way, my own personal rating is, I give him a fact because they've thrown the ball a lot. Again, I look at, I'm going to really look at the whole season. So he's he played most of the game against UVA, and he started the past four games. Two of those four, by the way, have been against top 20 teams in Pitt and NC State. One of those was at UNC, which at the time, I believe, was a ranked team before your Florida State Seminoles changed that. And he's averaged throwing the ball about 40 times a game. He threw it 45 times against UNC, one touchdown, three picks. I'll get back to that in a second. The last three games, 33 times thrown against NC State, four touchdowns, zero picks. Against Pitt, 42 attempts, Three touchdowns, one interception. Against Georgia Tech, threw the ball 34 times. Three touchdowns, zero interceptions. They're on a three-game winning streak. Let's go back to the one game they didn't win. UNC, 45-42. His stats were, again, 45 attempts, 20 completions. That's about 44%. One touchdown, three interceptions. So it's very clear when he has a bad game, the team doesn't win. And I know you might be saying, whoa, no duh. It's not always necessarily true in college football. There's a lot of times where if a QB can have a mediocre game and get bailed out by the rest of the team. So that is kind of, a, I guess, the proving the contrapositive that his bad games result in bad results. Therefore, his good games are responsible for the win more than just the team winning and him also looking good. I don't know. I think he's a kid we need to be worried about. And I think him being a true freshman is not great for the future. That being said... He hasn't had to go against a defensive line like ours. NC State has a pretty good defensive line, but they're not at, we have, I'd say we have five guys right now that are good ACC defensive linemen. 
We have three right now that I would say are great ACC defensive linemen in Kier Thomas, um, Fabian Lovett, and our boy Jermaine Johnson. And I'd say Jermaine Johnson is a great, great NCAA FBS lineman. So we're stacked there. We're good in all facets of the pass rush. And I think they could get make a really long day for Tyler Van Dyke in a way that he hasn't had to see before. No, I completely agree. This is probably the best defense they've faced actually overall since Michigan State, where they were absolutely trounced by them. Um, I'm in the belief that this Miami offensive line is not built to basically go up against a good defensive line, primarily because if you look at the stats, Miami's offensive line is tied with us in quarterback sacks. Now, that's mainly because McKenzie Millen has inflated those stats, but they're one-tenth in the country. They also are one-twelfth in the country in quarterback hurries, so they're able to somewhat keep a clean pocket for Tyler Van Dyke to operate in those explosive plays to sort of develop. And we have a defensive line where, like, Pitt doesn't have that. NC State kind of has that with Corey Durden, but Corey Durden only can do so much. And then Georgia Tech last week, I mean, Georgia Tech isn't a good football team. So this would be the first true test. And, like, he, this is kind of a baptism by fire. It is a rivalry game for him. And I can see Jermaine Johnson, who played extremely well against a future first-round pick, left tackle in A.K. Ikuanu last week against NC State. Yeah. Like this to me is something that where if we're able to get to him and make him not only uncomfortable, but like make him like, you know, have to rethink or like have to do make quicker decisions. This is something that we can definitely just live in the backfield and probably hamper their offense. Yeah. Miami is 109th on standard down sack rates. That means if they try, if they decide to pass on first and 10 or second and six or less, or I believe, I don't think you can have a standard down on third down. They get sacked 109th most in the country. They're 64th on passing down sack rate. Neither of those are good. Um, they're 85th in overall sack rate. So they're in the bottom or the second quartile, the bottom half of the country when it comes to getting sacked. They're also 103rd in stuff rate and 120th in power success rate. All you have to know about those, that means they do not reset the line of scrimmage well. And there is an opportunity here for our defensive line to really bully them in the trenches and I think if we capitalize on that it doesn't matter if Tyler Van Dyke is fact or fiction we're going to be able to keep that offense to 21 points and we're going to be able to win this game as long as our offense can execute but before we bet on that I want to give you guys the opportunity to bet on literally anything you want Drake and I as you all know I'm a retired gambler but we were outside the confines of the United States of America's jurisdictional borders last weekend in the Bahamas. And, uh, you know, I dabbled a bit, had a pretty good day. Uh, he did awesome, folks. He did. He did awesome. We, did. we had a great day. Anyway, not here to talk about me. We're here to talk about you, folks. BetOnline.ag is where you should do all your wagering. They got great lines. They have every prop you could imagine. So if you're listening to this Thursday morning, guys, we got Thursday night football tonight. We got Maction tonight. We got some games from all over the country in the NFL tonight. There's probably some horses racing somewhere. I'm sure you can find them. So go to betonline.ag, create an account, use promo code locked on. And when you go to betonline.ag and use promo code locked on, you will get a welcome bonus that matches your first deposit 50% of it up to $200. So you throw in $200, they'll give you $100 for free to win with. That's right, it's called winning. Not gambling at betonline.ag. All right, so let's wrap it up here. We talked about Jordan Travis's impact on the game. We talked about Tyler Van Dyke, and then we previewed what was going on on the field. Now, I think 
we need to talk about what's at stake here. Um, this is kind of a theme we come back to with a lot of games. And the fan in me thinks this is probably one of the more important games of the season. The analyst in me wonders, eh, doesn't matter. And then the logic in me says, well, it doesn't matter if it doesn't matter to the analyst in you because it matters to the fan in you, and that's who these games are for. And that kind of brings me in a really, really long way to, hey, this is probably the most important Miami game we've played since Willie's first year. Second year, maybe, because that got him fired. But to me, probably the first year, because after he lost that by giving up, what, 35 points in the second half after a 35-7 to lead, it was like, what the heck are we doing here? Um, last year, I think Norvell was going to get a pass no matter what. We knew we couldn't block that team. We knew that it just wasn't going to go well. And then he also wasn't even on the sidelines for it. But this year, he's got his quarterback back. We should be relatively healthy. Miami's not doing that well. They've had some moments as well. I don't think – I think the excuses are gone. This is the game. If you're Mike Norvell, you have to win. I am of the mindset that this game, I think heading into the year, you need to be one of your rivals, right? And I was of the mindset that out of the two, Miami was going to be the weaker of the two. Now – I think that's Florida. Not 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 saying that's more important. I think they're the that Miami's the better team of the two between the two. I think it's really important to actually keep it cons- extremely competitive and also because there's going to be a lot of kids that are already committed at this game. They're going to be kids like a Marvin Jones Jr. I think just said that he's going to Tallahassee this weekend. Armella might be coming as well. Travis Hunter should be there. We have a UGA commit and Tyre West coming. So it's primarily this game is all about perception and moving forward. And one of the things that I always say is like you, you, like Norvell preaches this, you know, hard work, climb mentality and all this stuff like that. It sounds really, really good until you keep getting punched in the mouth and keep losing these football games. Now, the NC State one is a kind of a mulligan because everyone was out, barely anybody practiced. The Clemson one to me was a little more egregious. I thought that was a very winnable game to just snatch and steal from them as we see how Louisville almost beat them as well. So with this Miami game, I think it's primarily extremely important to for him and his sick and heading into next year to win this game, and I think for maybe for Coach Fuller, I mean, I'm kind of in a different boat with you when it comes to his job security because it's not really the defense on the field I'm worried about. It's more his relationships with kids that he's recruiting and also with people on the staff that he also has issues with, which is another thing. So to me, primarily, it's a game you need to win or at least you know keep it extremely close. And then for the rest, I'm not to solely get embarrassed by this team because I am very worried that – only one of those two are the Akron's. There's nothing in the middle in this game. So the minute I say this, it's going to happen. I'm going to eat my words. But that hasn't happened once this year. And that's something I want everyone listening to this. Thank you, by the way. Make sure you subscribe. Four stars, the whole deal. Five stars, not four. Five stars. I say five stars only, folks. Come on. Five stars only. Yeah, I, I think it's something we need to reflect on is that there's so many opportunities this year for this team to just let you down so hard. And they haven't done that once. And that is a cultural change. You know, you there are whole dissertations written on what is culture and how do you identify it. But culture is, I think, what you do as a collective. And this team has not quit once. Even last week, they didn't quit. And I know that's not like, I'm not giving them a cookie and saying, oh, yeah, that's all I want. I, I don't mind if we're 4-8 every year, as long as we don't quit. No. But I'm a realist. And I'm saying after what I saw the past couple of years, the fact that a team, when half the team had the flu and wasn't there, 
and it would have been so easy to get beat by 50, and they still tried for four quarters, didn't let you down, and I would say, even though they lost by 14, kind of could hold their heads up high after that game. Well, that tells me that they're probably not going to do it this week, and they haven't. I don't know that. I don't have a crystal ball, but I, I'm past the point now of thinking, oh, no, the minute I start to get confident, they'll beat us by 50. Like, I don't, I don't even worry about that anymore because I don't think that's culturally who this team is. Now I want to see them take the next step, and this is the game where you've got to turn that corner and you've got to say, okay, it's not an NC, a UNC where we're a 17-point underdog and we're pulling a massive upset, right? This is a close predicted game at a two-and-a-half-point spread against a huge rival on your home turf. That's the game now you have to show me you can win. And that, I think, is the next step in the progression of Mike Norvell's Florida State Seminoles. Yeah, I mean, when I say we're going to you know, lose by 50, I'm not saying the team's going to quit in, on the field. I mean, no, it's, I more, it's more that I feel that our secondary with the losses that we saw last week and the week before is high susceptible to the explosive play where I don't think it's going to happen. I'm, kind of, I'm the same boy as you right now, where this is a very winnable game, and I'll say it's a game that we should steal. And that's the one thing I've been waiting on all year for this team to do at least once. I don't count the UNC game as a steal. I, I came into the year that UNC, that that's the game we should win because Mac Brown is a null forever and ever. He's never going to be us at all. This is like Rihanna's not going to be with me ever. Riri, please call me. And Come on, buddy. You don't know that. I know. Hey, listen, you and Candace are, not, are too good to me, man. She says the same damn thing. But I need to see this team finally steal one. And that's something that we always hear every single year. Like, when you're, we're not supposed to lose this game. We're not supposed to lose this game. And we end up losing it. How come, why not now that we can steal one, you know, from a team that, Quite frankly, we're the same talent. This co- coaching-wise, I don't see much of a difference be- between the two, except that they might have a better OC or we have a better head coach. Talent-wise, we're basically the same. Recruiting-wise, we're leaps and bounds above them right now. Our momentum is on our side. You know, suck it, man. It is with your full, mom- full momentum BS put over the summer. So to me, this is a game that just snag, just snag it, man. Just do it with the old, you know, Richard Sherman. Grab that chain off of Manny real quick and just you know take it home with you. Yeah, I don't think it's. I don't think this is a game you need to steal. I think it's uh, one you can walk right up to the Miami kid, rip the Ferragamo loafers off his feet, and Venmo his dad five fifty for him, and walk out like you own the place. I think it's a game you could win. I think it's a team you could dominate, and I'm very excited to see the result. I'm more excited that y'all stop by and you make my week better by letting me talk to you. Sorry, I've been relatively absent this week. You also won't see me for the rest of the week tomorrow. I believe Drizzy's going to drop the gambling show for y'all a day early. Or you'll have it on Saturday. Either way, none of the Miami fans wanted this smoke, so we don't have a know your foe. For that, I apologize, but a great week of episodes for that. I say you're welcome. I'm Max, that was Drake, and this was Locked On Seminoles.